When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When summertime rolls around in Ireland, certain traditions are regularly observed. Debating the merits of salad cream and the traditional Irish salad. Awkwardly translating pop songs and questioning our constitutional language rights. This year, in a summer like no other, these constants steadfastly remain. In today's episode, Garagine Patter and I consider these seasonal indicators, uncovering hypocrisies in language usage and classifying a new type of Irish speaker along the way. You might say it's a hot gale summer. But first, this week's episode of Motherfucker is brought to you by our listeners. Listeners such as Catchling Quinn and Dan. Dan doesn't give us a surname, but we love them all the same. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you've been subscribed from day one or have been binging on our three-year back catalogue through lockdown. If you'd like to join listeners such as Catchling and Dan in supporting what we do at Motherfucker, you can do so on Patreon patreon.com forward slash Derek. We've been holding regular Q&As and catch-ups with past guests, such as Ruthie Fizz, who returned to discuss fantastic creature names, Oskelga and Osberla, her new podcast, The Limpipod, and a range of other issues. Here's a snippet from that episode. And you had already been saying we should reintroduce Kamchatka. Kamchatka. Kamchatka bear. Which is the closest species to the ancient Irish bear. I mean, I definitely probably said that. I'm not sure there's any like scientific research uh, backing that up. I mean, I, I potentially did say that. I don't know if we should necessarily believe that because polar bears, polar bears have a lot of mitochondrial DNA associated with the brown bears in Ireland. Okay. So it would be easier for us to introduce polar bears, but I think it just might be a bit too hot. The reason for the Kamchatka brown bears is because they're known as the largest and the friendliest of all the brown bears. Well, if we're going to have a bear in Phoenix Park, we want him to be friendly. We don't want him running off with the president. Thanks once again to Kathleen and Dan and all our supporters. Now on with the show. From Best of Podcast Network. Welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Derek O'Shea. I'm Gerardine McAvoy. And I'm Pather O'Krivonik. And you're very welcome to our episode today. Have you looked out the window, my friends, and seen the, the warm weather, felt the humidity touching you, felt the sun caressing, adding little freckles to your face? seeing the children not playing because they're not at home school anymore and wondered, could it be summer? Could it? Could have fooled me, could to be it? honest with you. It's, been, <laughs> <laughs> it's, gone from, it's gone from scorching hot to raining cats and dogs. I suppose it's a typical Irish summer. Oh, it's the typical Irish summer. That's, that sounds like a Richie Gavin song. <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay, you can't have summer, unfortunately, in Ireland without certain familiar summer things you know and uh, one of which is hot gale summer 
<laughs> yeah. When you have when you have summer in Ireland, you have to have two things. Um, it has to be too hot for dinner, and your mom has to make a salad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you have to have really hot takes about the Irish language. That's when you know it's it's summertime. That's when you know. served served up like a plate of ham slices, hard boiled yeah. eggs, and lettuce and salad cream. <laughs> Do you like yeah. salad cream with your hot takes? <laughs> <laughs> salad cream. I'm, I, I like. I'm. It's been known that I have strong food opinions, but salad cream I actually would place lower than than the than Dublin gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, salad cream. It's it's offensively inoffensive uh, in a big way. Uh, I find that salad cream is like for uh, at least in in my experience, like my dad thinks that mayonnaise is too newfangled and modern. <laughs> so like he's like, I wouldn't touch that stuff, but the salad cream is all right, you know. <laughs> It's a I don't one, know what's in salad cream. What is salad cream? It's um, it's, it's basically mayonnaise, isn't it? It's mayonnaise with sadness. Yeah. It's yeah. It, 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 it's it's mayonnaise that it's mayonnaise that could have played county. All oh, right. Yeah. It's mayonnaise that was left a bit out too fond of a bit, but it's a bit too fond of the vinegar and the sunlight. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> yeah. Historically, yeah. historically, salad cream, often mentioned in Victorian sources, consisted of hard-boiled eggs pureed with cream, mustard, salt, and vinegar. Yummy. Mustard, yeah. Mm, mm, yummy. Man. Holy God. The Victorians really I, knew food, didn't they? Mm, bit of, bit of jelly there in eels and salad yeah, cream. Yeah, you put a bit of salad cream on your jelly eels. Christ. Did you ever see the menu from the Titanic that was served on the Titanic? No. That's how you, it, was, it, would make, it would make you heave. Make you want to drown, like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, the iceberg would taste better, you know? Jeez. I tell you, if I have to eat canned peaches one more time, I'm going to turn this ship right into an iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> God, really. But yes, but so um, we are about to get salad creamed now by some of the hot takes. Ew. Oh, oh. That is a visceral image. Yes. But somehow but, very apt, like, at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, has silly season been a bit bland um, this year? Are the, are the takes less hot than usual? Because I mean, obviously we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Yeah. You know, people have less time to be silly because we're all actively trying not to die, maybe. Which, in a sense, I'm like, oh, delighted that nobody's decided to post a picture of Peg alongside their infuriating headline. But at the same time, you know, is it worth it? I'm not sure. It does seem possibly that, the, that uh, I guess, a a certain panic about ma- masks and human rights and, 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 some, and some other topical issues may have actually distracted. From some of the, the the typical August hot takes, there's been, and in fairness to like last year, I mean, I suppose let's we could start with the positives, and that last year we identified a number of recurring hot takes in in columnists about an Irish related topics, and if, if there's possibly been fewer of them this year on account of mask related topics. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been. Um, there's been the. I mean, not to say that the COVID pandemic has completely taken the focus off the Irish language. Like there was that editorial in the Irish Examiner a while ago when the government admitted that it ballsed up and and failed to produce a bilingual leaflet around precautions around COVID and had to go to the expense of producing an Irish one just to fulfill their statutory requirement. And there was this uh this stellar, stellar take in the Irish Examiner, um, which 
apparently was not reflective in any way of what the actual staff of the examiner think but that's another story <laughs> around how you know ah come on lads we're in the middle of a pandemic can we not suspend your 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 rights to be addressed in one of the languages of the state please <laughs> i think that's such an interesting take and such a because it, it, it reflects what we we see very often and we talked about it last year i think about the, oh the cost of translation because apparently there is nothing more expensive than than translating a piece of legislation or, you know, statutory information uh, from the government into Irish. It, it is the most expensive thing. Like, you know, healthcare, schooling be damned. That's really amazing. <laughs> but uh, it, it had an, an added flavour of a kind of a not now sort of attitude, which I thought was really kind of nuanced and new um, that we don't always see that, like, there was the acknowledgement that, oh, isn't Irish great and twee, but we're in the middle of a pandem- pandemic. Not now, lads. You know, you're pulling focus, essentially. And I think that that was <laughs> something that was really interesting that we don't often see. And, you know, I, I think it sort of speaks to a-, a wider narrative about the language being seen not very seriously. And sure, there might not be monolingual people, but that doesn't shirk your statutory and constitutional obligation to provide that. I mean... The really interesting thing I found about that particular take was you missed the fucking point completely. The point is there was a government requirement that is not new by any like <laughs> measurement. It's one of it, the oldest government requirements. Yeah, right? It's not a surprise to anyone in government to be like, we made this thing, Jesus Christ, did we have to do it in Irish? Yeah, like fucking everything else you have. And that that's the problem. The problem is this continued like blasé attitude Um to producing things in Irish, you know, it's just, it's almost like laughable that the point was so completely missed by that particular editorial in the examiner. Um, so uh, I take your point, but it's fucking wrong, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but but it does it does sort of speak to this idea that like, you know, uh, it's well and good to have your, mm-hmm. um, have your language rights, but... Like when it when push comes to shove, and things are a little bit tight, can we not suspend your human rights in this? Like, would you not just do the decent thing? And sure, don't you speak English anyway? Which is a real erasure of first language Irish speakers in the first place, and second of all, a total totally ignorant of the fact that like I don't have to. You know what I mean? I, I'm I'm <laughs> I have a perfect legal right to be addressed in in the first language of the state if that's what I want. In the same way that I've got a right everywhere in this island to be addressed in English if that's what I want and to just brush that aside and say oh come on now right we've we've we put up with you long enough it's ah it's just it's just dripping with privilege it's 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 the usual sort of it's the kind of thing that minorities that women that people who are LGBTQ plus that they experience all the time it's right we've reached the edge of our tolerance of your basic human rights now and we want you to shut up and get back in the corner and it's very very rare that there's legitimately something that affects Irish language speakers that you can actually draw a parallel with the with the with the experience of oppressed minorities Mm -hmm. but occasionally it happens and this is one of them it's just you know what we're actually fed up tolerating you now and we want to stop tolerating you for a minute because things are things are pretty serious if you haven't noticed and it's just bullshit it can get in the sea yeah and i think you you raised a really good point there that people think um that, oh my god it's so infuriating it's maddening this attitude sure don't you speak english anyway that 
that's not the point. Like, it's, <laughs> like if you've got a problem with the constitutional requirement and the legislative requirement under mm-hmm. Article 8 of the Constitution, Article 26.4 of the Constitution and the Official Languages Act 2003, well, get right ahead. Start yourself a little campaign, repeal that those articles of the Constitution and change the legislation. But until that happens, that requirement exists whether or not people like it. And either we have laws that exist in reality and that are on the statute books and are in the Constitution and are actually enforceable or we have no law at all. You don't get to bring in a piece of legislation and I can feel the ghost of Dev coming back. It's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Either you have these laws that are like fake and nonsense laws that like error they don't really apply or it's just on the, the statute books when things are handy. Either your law applies in all times or it doesn't apply at all. Like that's a very basic legal principle. Otherwise, you're just talking out your hole like stop. Oh, it's coming. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's happening as well with with the um the guards in Gaeltacht areas. The commissioner Tanga mm-hmm. has found that they're still still uh, way behind on implementing uh, implementing guidelines and recommendations from a review of absolutely years ago, and it just it seems like one of the most basic things. Like if you want to if you want to relegate Irish to these reservations, to these areas, these geographical areas in which Irish has status uh, equivalent to English outside of these areas, then it just seems like pretty basic that when there are state services available in those areas, they should be available in Irish. And yet, we do not have police who are able to deal with things. And and again, there's the usual nonsense around, sure, look, don't they speak English anyway? But look, at the end of the day, if you're a victim of a serious crime or you've been badly affected by something and your first language is Irish, it's the one you think in and it's the one you, you, um, you know, you've grown up with and it's the first thing that comes to your mind. And, you know, Gardine, you and I, we spoke in a previous episode about the idea of fluency. If this is the yeah. one that you know all the words in, and you can't actually impart that. You have to go to your second language yeah. in your own state. That's It's just not good enough. Like, it's just not good enough. It's something that migrant populations the world over have to deal with all around the world. And that's obviously not good enough either. And there should be better interpretive services. And there should be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there should definitely be, be more available to those who come here and, and don't have English as a first language. But I mean, for people who are born, reared here, citizens of the state who live in an area where the Irish language is supposed to be protected and preserved, for them to have to go through that same experience, that's just, I mean, it's not just shoddy. Like, we know it's not right. We know it's its its completely and totally contrary to, like, the articles of the Constitution that you mentioned mm-hmm. and also just basic human decency. And Garda, like, legislation and Garda policy, like, it, it, it is required. Every guard who goes through um, Templemore goes through training. Now, listen, I have research forthcoming on this, but like the, oh. the training, I mean, it, it is what it is. And the training, you can't train everybody to fluency, I think. And, and you can't necessarily be expected. But like you said, if you're putting Gardaí in a, in a station in Rossmuck where you are more than likely going to anticipate Irish speakers. And I mean, a lot of this has to do with like, you know, limitations of the, you know, the service itself and Garda Shiokon itself and say, you know, funding and whatever and the way that they train Gardi. But I, I think there's there's very often and this this is true of a lot of um, like organisations in the state that there's sort of, a, as I said, a blase attitude about Irish that, you know, maybe trainee Gardi are saying era, you know, it's a box ticking exercise. I didn't join the guards to, to speak Irish. Well, you know, you don't get to say that about arresting people. 
I didn't join the guards to arrest people, so I'm not really going to take that seriously. Like, we don't allow mm. that, but this is a requirement for that particular post. People need to take it seriously. And the organisation perhaps is not really taking it that seriously. And there's, there's, uh, that's not just my opinion. There's multiple reports over the years to the Commissioner Changa, uh, reports in, in courts and, and in Irish language newspapers that will show you that. And for a lot of people who've interacted with the guards, they'll tell you that that's the same. There might be this assumption and it's very common in other jurisdictions as well that if you speak Irish with the guards or with the state in general you're perceived as this sort of troublemaker and yeah. when that person has a right over your your uh, like freedom essentially a right whether or not to arrest you do you want to be perceived that way? I know for a fact that if I was stopped by Gurdy, you know, at a checkpoint or whatever, I'm not speaking Irish to that guard because I'd be afraid of the reaction. And that's kind of similar to like if I was in a post office, you know, maybe I'd be scared to to speak Irish or or maybe on the phone to the revenue. I don't want to be seen as an arsehole, you know. Uh, so I don't want to use my language. And that's, as I said, that's a really common narrative in so many uh, jurisdictions, not just Ireland, not just Irish speakers. So you're demonised if you do and you're demonised if you don't because if you don't use your language, language it's a dead language but when you do use it you're an arsehole so <laughs> like, there's no winning <laughs> i remember um i remember um doing a piece for the journal a couple of years ago around misconceptions around the Irish language. And one of the questions that they asked me was, you know, if you ring the civil service, like if you ring revenue and you, you choose the Irish language option, do you get a quicker service? So like, no, you get some incredibly apologetic English speaker yeah. going, uh, the girl who speaks Irish is on holidays. <laughs> you know? yeah. it's, uh, and, and again, and it's like that. And, and this is always used. It always comes back. They, they point out every year, somebody who wants, to talk about how how dead the Irish language is points out how few people took the census in Irish. Yep. But you're like my own census enumerator didn't have any Irish language forms. I said that's grand. Come back to me when you do. And she said, would you not just take an English form? No, I want one. I pushed hard on it. But like, I mean, I speak Irish. In the other half of my my household doesn't. So I mean, there's plenty of households like that that certainly would have gone. Oh no, that's grand. No bother. Just give me the English one. It's much easier. The terminology issues as well, like we learn yeah. everything, everything we have in the news, the terminology is in English. So when it comes to the census, people are just more comfortable, they're more comfortable dealing with organs of the state in English. That doesn't in any way negate their right to exercise their use of one of the languages of the state. I think when you mentioned the, the contact in the civil service there, I know that in the one of the things that happened during the I guess the, the recession after the after the bank bailout was they they removed the, the civil service six percent exam, which gave I guess a civil servants who going for promotion um, extra I guess a, a, a kind of extra points and to reflect their ability to to perform services in Irish, and they moved away from that model towards a model of having more kind of graduate um, Irish language graduate entrants who maybe were working on specific policy areas. So they were moving away from a model of widespread Irish speaking customer service to, to kind of, I guess, to, to having a small nub of, of experts, which meant, and because this, this is part of a larger thing and it needs to be looked at in the larger context of moving away from, from face to face customer service in general and mm. trying to get more people mm. to, to self-serve things, which has been a, um, an unfortunate development in my view, but a development that's happening nonetheless. But you, like, I, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, you can't streamline 
language. Like you, you absolutely cannot. If you look, for example, in the United States with a lot of immigration hearings now, they've removed interpreters, um, which is a violation of human rights. But the, the United States tend to take human rights on a sort of a, an a la carte menu. It's a buffet. They decide whether or not they're, really? <laughs> what they're going to pick. Um, so they they've removed interpreters. So essentially what they have is a recorded message of your rights as an asylum seeker in Spanish and other like common languages that arrive. But if you're coming from an indigenous minority in a South American country, you know, whatever it is, you don't speak that language and you're given this video and you're supposed to understand your rights as an asylum seeker in a foreign country that you've never been to before when you're fleeing war. Like that's, I mean, that's obviously an extreme example, but you can't, there are some things you cannot streamline and you cannot streamline. I think when language comes into it and language services that are required, you can't streamline that. It's not possible to do that. And it's a very easy thing to say, oh, we're cutting costs, so we're going to cut language. Well, what are you actually cutting? What is the, the cost of that cut realistically? You're contributing to, uh, in some cases, the death of a language. In other cases, these negative attitudes about languages and increased discrimination against the users of those languages like wh what is the actual cost of that cut that you're making yeah and what's the human toll which is mm -hmm. which is massive like and it, the you know uh, in cases like that with ice and the immigration courts you are looking at an absolute it's a denial of human rights it leads to mm -hmm. a denial of liberty it yeah. leads to somebody being imprisoned and you know, not to feed into the trope, but like we're looking at a sort of a far less immediately serious aspect of the same thing over here. It's not it's not leading to people being incarcerated, but it is leading to a sort of a denial of agency and a denial of, of who you are. And I think a lot of it does stem from that thing Derek was saying around a, a change of approach in the civil service, like to move everything into, into silos and to really just reinforce this idea of English as default and Irish as this, this lovely little optional extra this nice little thing that's good to have and sure look if you have it sure can't you work in the only irish language office we have out in barna and it's great and you can be in charge of guilt policy but yeah. sure like restricting the language to just the policy around the guilt or the policy around education or the policy around where it's going to be it's it's a problem like there's problems in how we structure the civil service at the moment in a big big way like I work in the older people's sector and older people are completely mm. and totally managed in the Department of Health. One office in the Department of Health. And it just ignores the fact that when you turn 65, you still use transport. You still are involved in culture and the arts. You're still involved in sport. You're still in all these things. They're taken away and you're, you're pigeonholed into this. So we've gone away from this broad sort of scattergun approach to we'll have Irish everywhere. And, you know, if you want to speak Irish with the civil service, you can to pigeonholing everything into a policy area. And we lose our we lose our sort of our, our our broad vision of where the Irish language should be in society. We think it's it should be concerned. It should be concerned entirely that, you know, use of the language should be concerned with the policy around the language. But yeah. fuck it. Like, no, I want to get a GP's appointment where I can speak Irish. I want to get a speak in, speech and language therapist who speaks Irish. I want to do my tax. Oscailge. You know, that's that's mm. what I want. That's what that's the customer service I want. Yeah. And there's this, this attitude that you're somehow, I don't know, in a demanding entitled brick for wanting that. You know? <laughs> and as I said, like, it's sorry if, if you've got an issue with that being a service and that being the legislative requirements, if we're looking at it realistically, well, then change the 
bastard in law like until then you know you don't have a right to complain about wanting those things what we're wanting is the same level of service we're not looking for like you said a policy around education and a policy around the Gwaeltacht because none of us are from the Gwaeltacht and yet we all want those services you know um also needs to be said that for, for a lot of government departments who develop maybe their websites and other customer services um, approaches in consultation with international companies who are more than more than well used to to developing these in other bilingual and multilingual states. So like a, a large kind of a big four or, or um, accountancy firm or other kind of con- international consultancy firm who has experience doing these things in Belgium and Switzerland, yeah. in other places, it's like, I mean, the, the idea that, that Ireland will be asking too much to have some of these things developed in a bilingual way is yeah. not... But that, that doesn't come from that doesn't come from these large consultancy firms who are used to localization, as you say. That's very much internalized. That's somebody in a department somewhere not saying that we should have like that we should be able to put fathers on our names or anything like that. Because oh Jesus, that'd be too much. That we can't be asking them that. Mm-hmm. God, what are they going to think of it? Or is there? fucking putting in umlauts and sharp possesses and you know what I mean? They've localized this all around the world. It's in Tagalog, it's in Hindi, it's in Chinese, it's in Russian, it's everywhere. And and we're going, did you ask about the fathers? No, geez, you can't be asked. Can't be, can't be putting in fathers, lads. What will they think of us? But I think it's it's a reflective also of that attitude that like, sure, how would we deal with two languages? As if other countries, do, as if bilingualism doesn't <laughs> exist anywhere else in the world. Like, you, like, point, close your eyes and point to a globe, and you will find you will land on a bilingual, multilingual country. Like, it's hmm. monolingualism is fucking weird. Like, that's the yeah. weird shit, you know? Bilingualism, multilingualism, not weird at all. We're going to return to this topic of multilingualism after this short break. Featuring the Irish storytelling podcast, Fireside. Once upon a time, Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods to the epic wars fought by Cúchulain and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, you can always join me by the fireside. That was Fireside, available on the Headstuff Podcast Network. My, um, I remember that when I was, my dad was helping me with my homework, there was, we would be doing a, a letter in Irish to maybe a, um, to a business or a government department. And my dad said, no, you, you've got to say Akhara. That's how people actually speak to each other. And as opposed to, they, there was a, there was a, ver- I can't remember the exact version they used for like, dear Mr. Kind of, oh, um, Rune Usel. Yeah. Rune Usel, yeah, that's and, the one, yeah. And uh, there is, uh, there is an issue in, in that we expect kind of English to be, to have it reach a certain level of formality in, and maybe a certain level of artificial formality because that's the way English works that English always had this kind of system 
beat into it that governments speak differently than people speak whereas mm. in irish maybe you don't always have that we discussed this in one of the one of our live episodes before about the um about the sign for clean up dog fouling in, in <laughs> irish you, you wouldn't use you, you wouldn't use a euphemism like dog fouling whereas you would use it in english yeah and in this way sometimes that the actual the translation process highlights some of the actual ridiculousness in the way english is used by powerful state agencies yeah, and it's stunted and it's formal and it's not really required because if what what is the worst case scenario? If you write a letter to the Taoiseach and you start it with Dear Michal, what's the worst thing that happens? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's 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 nonsense. It's, yeah, he's, of course he's not going to reach for the smelling salts. He's, yeah, like, <laughs> I heard that you're going to send the Yeah, he's going to send the guards around to put you in Portlaoise prison. Asperla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, but, but I think that, that like, English, I, I don't know if I've said it before in this podcast, but I say it all the fucking time. English is so limited. Like, English is such a limited language. And I, I, I come across it all the time when I'm talking about, because um, a lot of my research is about deaf people. And the way we talk about language in English is very related to speech. Um, so very often you have people don't understand that sign languages are language because, sure, you don't speak them. Because mm-hmm. they think in English and they're like, I don't understand how that's a language because there's no spoken element to it. Um because we talk about I speak English, I speak French, whereas in Irish we say I have Irish and it's a much more mm. useful way of saying it. And I just that's just one example, but I just find that English can be so limited and very often that's not perceived in in the way that we look at Irish because it doesn't have a word for latte or whatever, you know, um, so it's really limited, you know, uh, but uh, I, I think. You know, Useless all dead language. Yeah, <laughs> all languages have pros and all languages have cons. And, and English is not like, uh, I mean, English is not exempt from that. It has its limitations so often. And the more the more you learn other languages, the more you realise you're like, God, English is... Like in, in Swedish, you have a word for your paternal aunt and your maternal aunt, so you know the difference. So you got your mostar, mm. uh, which is mother, sister, and fastar, which is father, sister. So you know exactly when which Auntie Mary you're talking about. You know? That is so handy. Isn't it? Same so same with handy. sisters-in-law. Yeah. Like I have, I have, um, I've got two sisters-in-law who are married to my brothers and I've got other, a, a number of sisters-in-law who are Aaron's sisters. Yeah. A, and yes, and they are different entities. So if I'm referring to my sister-in-law, uh, it's, it's quite imprecise. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. It's such a clunky, it's a clunky language for familial relationships. So clunky. Yeah. But there's, there's some little kind of glimmers of hope. Uh, in terms of how our Irish language issues have been covered in the media this year, although give them a little bit of scrutiny, you can see that there's um, problems still there. I am referring, of course, to a a story that was that felt, feels like it happened a year ago, but actually only happened in June. And this refers to a case in England where a family uh, wanted an Irish inscription on a gravestone in in X Hall in Coventry. And this is in this case, uh, this happened back in June. There was there was a ruling that by a Church of England court that an Irish language inscription should also include a translation so that the phrase was not mistaken. The phrase in our Griad Gajo would not be mistaken for a political statement. Yeah, <sighs> never not ashes though. And then this was something that obviously the the Church of Ireland kind of worked. Work, work. This is this was this decision was made by the Church of England's consistory court, which is an ecclesiastical court, and it I suppose it was shortly afterwards. Then they they did reverse their tracks a bit. But the fact that this decision actually got made, and particularly the circumstances in which this decision was being made for an actual gravestone, 
for something as, as, as personal as that and the implication that that it, political messages uh, would, that they were just against political messages in general or it's just a certain kind of political message that they might think <laughs> and even the assumption that that if something is yeah there's, there's, there's a lot to unpack here like if a person was being buried who had been in the RAF and they, have, they wanted a comment on their a comment on their gravestone that that a certain military activity was was, was worthwhile would that be considered was considered a political statement? I mean, no, yeah. because that politics is all right. You know, the problem <laughs> is, I mean, it's it's a it's a very convoluted way of saying, and I'm not like they, their ruling is a very convoluted way of saying is we inherently associate the Irish language with politics that we don't like from Northern Ireland that is associated with terrorism in our country and the IRA. Like that's what they were saying, mm. and mm-hmm. I mean, you can paint it whatever way you want. Um, you know, and it's incredibly damaging to have that. Languages are not political. They may well be be used by people in a political way, but language is a communication tool at its very basis. And mm. it's culturally connected to to people who have no affiliation to the IRA. You know, look, I don't know how many times I need to say this. First president of the Gaelic League is Douglas Hyde, who was from the Church of Ireland. You know, it's not, mm. yeah. nobody owns a language. Yeah. Um and I, I think it's, yeah, so an RAF dude who died and had something saying, I don't know, wasn't the war great, lads, on his <laughs> gravestone. That'd be fine. That's not political. That's heroism. That's patriotism. But having something in Irish, you know, is. I'm just going to just going to just pick on one thing, because I agree with you there, Garden, except for just one thing, like all language is inherently political. I think just sometimes we don't realise in the broader Anglosphere, how political our use of English is. Yeah. You know, and that true, this was true. this was a woman who was proud of her Irish heritage, was born in Ireland, lived in the UK, wanted to have a Celtic cross, wanted to have the GAA logo and, you know, wanted to have this phrase, or her family rather, wanted to have these things on her gravestone. And you know, this was just a parish church council um, who were worried that if there's something in in Irish on it without an English translation, everyone will think it's the IRA. Yeah, that's that's just that's just bananas. This this ha- this happened before bananas. as well. <laughs> I seem to remember that um, back when the darkness was still a thing, the band the darkness they uh, <laughs> as opposed to this. <laughs> Terrible, terrible feeling that we have while the COVID <laughs> yes. pandemic rages on. I was like, "Is he out of darkness?" What? <laughs> no. So there, there, there was a band in there in the noughties called The Darkness, who had a big hit called "I Believe in a Thing Called Love," and I do remember at the time they he, the singer refused to have his song translated to Irish because he thought it might contain secret um, messages. <laughs> What? Or not what? Sort of secret messages. He there was a there was a jokey translation on on what's what do we call it the uh, Mario Rosenstock's the gift group. The, oh yeah, the, he had a key, and it actually hasn't happened. I think now that I mention it, this the character that he was singing it in the character of Jerry Adams, which may have also been a factor. That may have been a factor. That may have, that may, <laughs> that may have politicized things a wee bit. <laughs> But they allowed the, the fair usage because when they were just deciding the sketch was originally he he sang the, the the lyrics in Irish, but then when they were uh, compiling the actual sketches for release in a CD, at that point he said, "You know what? He the character the joke character can sing in English, but I don't want to translate into Irish." So he had no problems with Jerry Adams singing the lyrics. It was Jerry Adams singing the lyrics in Irish. 
this was the thing i think that this this was the a line that went too far and i think there's one there's one issue i guess with doing a sketch on the radio but once it becomes really releasable uh, uh, yeah. releasable for purchase then at that point i think the the fair usage thing can change because but I, I remember at the time thinking that's that's a bit that's a bit how do you do because he didn't he didn't say scrap the whole sketch um and i'm not sure if he would have had the, had the so no problem if. with Sherry Adams. It was a problem. I'm I'm fascinated by that. I mean, I'd have more of an issue with Mario Rosenstock singing my song than anything else. But like, you know. <laughs> and this, this this comes up every now and then. It, 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 the issue comes up because obviously we know that um, T.G. Uh, Lurgan and have Afrikosh Lurgan have uh, released popular cover versions of songs yeah. Oscar Elga. And generally speaking, I'm not aware of people saying no, don't translate my lyrics into Irish. But I don't know. Actually, that's fascinating. Because we get um, an awful lot of, this is just an aside, we get an awful lot of pop songs here that are translated into Finnish. And I'm always like, oh, I love this song. And then some like old man starts singing in Finnish. And I'm like, what is this? You know, <laughs> so I, I actually, I'm really interested in, in like why, wh- what the you story know, is with that. Before this episode gets released, I'm going to, before this episode gets released, I might actually see if I can get a statement just to, or a comment <laughs> yeah, from today, I found just because I, I, it, this reach definitely out, happened. Reach out to Justin Hawkins's people and see if you can, could you comment on? What are your of the Irish language. <laughs> Hi, Patter here, just to correct Derek on his fake news. We got in touch with Today FM on this point and we were advised that this is unfortunately just an urban myth, albeit a popular one. Mario Rosenstock's Jerry Adams character did sing The Darkness Oscailge, but didn't need permission from the band to use it on an album as he wasn't substantially changing the words. So thanks a million to Today FM for clearing that out and don't believe anything Derek O'Shea says. It was the not not Bachlesh and Bozcock sequence in Gift Grub, which was at the time. And oh, that, was, that was good crack. Yeah. It was good crack. And Mario Rosenstock is, of course, related to Gabriel Rosenstock. Gabriel Rosenstock, yeah, yeah. he's a nephew. Um, yeah, and like the Rosenstocks are um, a very, very storied family in Irish language circles. Yeah. And Gabriel Rosenstock is a poet, translator, writer. Um, so, yeah, so Ma- Mario, like, is, is Dini Ushla Oincher, as they say. Mm-hmm. He comes from good stock. Um, <laughs> and like, I've been to I've been to live events that Mario Rosenstock has, has compared and his use of the Irish language and just sort of interspersing it into into some of his sketches and things like that. Like at the time when, when all this was new, before Impressionism just became a parade of funny voices, when it was actually targeted and, and witty, it was really brilliant. It was innovative and it was really cool. And it was so good to hear that on mainstream radio, to just have somebody just throwing in bits of Irish here and yeah. there, not making a weird thing of it. Like, it's great. But the one thing I do want to concentrate on is that you, what you're saying is nobody has figured out the coded IRA messages in T.G. Lurgan's uh, songs yet. Not no, yet. thank God. Nope. Good, thank God. Good. Thank yeah. We're safe. <laughs> We're safe. Well, you know yeah, where the bunkers are. The rest of them can <laughs> fuck off. We, we don't have Cardi B or Nicki Minaj complaining, demanding that these translations be revoked. No, I cannot, cannot wait. Cannot wait for TG Lurgan's WAP. Cannot <laughs> wait. Book <laughs> edge, <laughs> August Mopping. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Don't catch it. Don't catch up, look. <laughs> Flashbacks to our porn episode. Oh dear! <laughs> <laughs> Difficult roosters. Difficult roosters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lads. Okay, so I would say that as Irish language stories go, the the Marrakeen uh, um, gravestone story got a lot of public sympathy, but then a number of um, a number of Gael and I, I, I pointed out that this was while well, the support was very welcome. 
there was an implication that, you know, people were prepared to stand up for Irish in this context when yeah. it was a case of the Brits being at it. And yeah. this and it, 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 it formed part of the broader compl- um, tapestry of them claiming um, Andrew Scott and Paul Meskell and... But but they weren't prepared to actually see how this this level of disrespect was. They weren't prepared yeah. to engage, to carry that objection to that the same kinds of disrespect being put put to Irish in Ireland. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think we're some of the guys. Like in the guys, Shane, we're we're some of the ones who had a fucking issue with that. Um, yeah, it's so true. Like you have an issue when it's it's the Brits who are at it, when they're claiming Irish identity as their own, when they're not letting you use your language on a gravestone. You have an issue there. Why don't you have that same issue when I, you know, go to the High Court because I didn't get a service in Irish or I was unfairly penalised for using my language or they didn't allow uh, me to have a judge in Irish, as is my right. Why don't you have that sympathy? Like, it's the same rhetoric that says you can't have Irish on your gravestone says I'm not putting a father on your passport or on your medical card. Actually, not passports because the passport office do it. But like, I'm not going to put a father on your whatever state document because uh, we don't have the system for that. It's the same rhetoric and people need to realise that. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's this ridiculous idea that we don't want to look bad to the foreigners. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we're very, very proud of our Irish identity. And did you know we have a language? But using that language, that should really only amount to, you know, secret conversations with the other Irish people abroad when you want to say that a nightclub is shit crack or your man across the room is quite hot and you don't want anyone else to know what you're talking about. Don't try and use it for an actual service. Don't try and use it for your human rights. You know, be a be a good little girl and just just only ask for it when it's convenient under these parameters that we've laid out. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, conveniently a trope that arises in my research that I have called the good quail. So a good quail ah. is somebody... Yeah, thanks, thanks for that segue. <laughs> um, that's somebody who... I have maybe an Irish name and I can speak Irish and I say Avrehev when I address the gu- the judge and I say Aharda when I address the guard, but I don't actually speak in Irish. So I use my Irish as a performance. And I think, I mean, I'm not depicting that as a bad thing because there are many Gael who actually do that. So Irish speakers who actually will do that because, as we mentioned earlier, there are so many negative consequences for actually using your Irish. So I might display to somebody that I have Irish in a very sort of nuanced and sort of maybe even secret way so that if they also pick up on that, that they can use their language with me. Otherwise, I don't want to reap the negative consequences. But we're very used to accepting a harder Agasgalina Ushla or, you know, at the start of your, when you won the All-Ireland, you stand up and you say a harder and then you switch to English. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but you need to recognise that that is tokenism for a language that exists, that people speak. And the problem is you see the language on a gravestone as tokenism and it's just a phrase that you like to use to impress the foreigners, but you don't actually see it as a living language where people are speaking it and using it and struggling through it in their everyday lives. Um, and you have this trope of the good goyle that I expect you to be the good goyle and when you're not the good goyle you're the antithesis of that you're the bad goyle the person who's using it for troublemaking to be an arsehole they're using it because they know they'll get away with something because you know that law is not translated into Irish and sure what could possibly go wrong when you speak Irish with the guards absolutely nothing you're not going to spend the night in a guard station and get arrested and have a criminal record you know that's never going to happen but how was it you so eloquently put it earlier on that if you if you want this then you're a demanding entitled prick yeah Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call my research. I think that's going to be the title of the thesis. Yeah. <laughs> Demanding, Demanding entitled, entitled pricks. <laughs> <laughs> 
which was strange for a TG Lurgan cover of uh, WAP. <laughs> DP. There is, there is. Look, there, there's bright spots in our in our silly season in our hot gale summer. Um, like this realization that Irish is more than just the little bit here and the little bit there. Uh, yeah. Imelda May realized this, and she was watching FLA 2020, and she sent a tweet about TG Carr's coverage of of the FLA. And I just, it was amazing. It's like, I'm overcome with grief for the language that was stolen from me. The stories, the poetry, songs that should be on my tongue. The embarrassment at having to learn like a child my own tanga that should never have been taken away from me. I, that's class. Like That is a level of, of sort of self-awareness yeah. that usually isn't there. You know, just this idea that, mm. yeah, the embarrassment at having to learn like a child my own tanga that should never have been taken away from me. Class. Absolutely brilliant. Really just, it's, it, it's sort of, it's taking ownership of the issue it's talking about what's at the heart of it it's acknowledging that like it was colonialism it was imperialism that took the language away but still talking about that feeling because a lot of people don't get over that embarrassment they don't get over that you know somebody else took it away grand we all agree that yeah the brits at it never not at it they did it it's terrible but some people don't get past that and they don't get past this idea that I don't have this anymore. It's not in my possession. Nilshe Aga Mahila. And then they kick back against the language in a big way. But that openness and that vulnerability that Imelda had, it was, it was just brilliant. Like it just blew my socks off. Yeah, it was yeah. so pure. And just that idea that, like you said, Nilshe Aga Mahila. So like, this is something that you know, by the nature, you don't lose a language in that sense, like is in like, I never had it, but it's still something that I've lost, you know, this feeling of lost that is so common in post-colonial societies and, you know, the victims of post-colonialism and feeling that that culture or that way of life or that language that is lost is a really, really good. I, I love it. It's beautiful. Uh, this this quote from uh, a podcast that I listened to, that I listened to a lot. It's called The Vocal Fries. And they had one of their early episodes. They had a, a guy on called Dr. Alberto Alvaro Rios, who's a poet, he's a Chicano poet, and he said, and I, it's it's stuck with me ever since that the blueprint of a culture is in its language. So how can you truly know yourself? You feel like this this part of yourself is taken from you and is gone that you never had because by virtue of the time that you were born, it was never there, it was already gone. But you still feel this loss. And that's a really complicated feeling for people. But to acknowledge, as Imelda did, that feeling of I am embarrassed by that through no fault of her own in a sense that like, you know, it was already taken, but acknowledging ownership over that. And it's not a hatred of the language and thinking it's useless. You know, that's colonialism with his work boots on. That's that's it in action. But to acknowledge that feeling of loss in such a pure and honest way was just really, really brilliant. Yeah, and to be honest with you, there should be a blueprint here on how to write a silly season article about the Irish <laughs> language. Katie Byrne uh, wrote a brilliant article in the Irish Independent on the, looking up here, on the 13th, um, talking about Amelda's tweet and talking about what she did and how she recaptured her Irish language. And it's absolutely brilliant. I highly recommend, like, for many yeah. years... I thought of the Irish language as a cultural relic, at best a novelty, uh, or sorry, a cultural relic at best, a novelty at worst. Uh, indeed, it was only in my 30s I started to think differently. And she talks about a realisation she had when she was talking to a friend who studied philosophy and started talking about aesthetics and language and how difficult it is. How can the Irish understand themselves when they don't understand their own language? And yeah. a, a, a telling conversation with Mankhan McGann, all-around legend who was doing an art installation called Gwelga Tamagotchi and asking people to adopt uh, endangered Irish words and just 
absolutely class. It's just this really, really heartfelt, emotional uh, article from someone who just said, you know what? No more, no more nonsense. No more. It's someone else's fault. We all know what happened, but this is me now, and and this is what I want. And and Slon feels like a warm hug to me, and Dukas feels like home. And sometimes I just grab the dictionary, I put my emotions into it, and I can feel the translations in my bones. Katie Byrne McKeol, who that is a silly season article about the Irish language. That's what we want to see. Yeah, not so silly. Not so silly at all. <laughs> If I remember correctly, that's the word silly originally came from the word for blessed or something or, or, or you know. A bit touched by God. Yeah, you're kind of bless, you know, sort of a bless your heart, as they say in the South, which is their way. And I think in, in the deep South in America, bless your heart is a way of saying right. you're fucking I thought, Egypt. I thought you thought you meant Cork. They just call you fucking Egypt, Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's it's if if a me someone from the deep south and they say bless your heart, it means you've said something very naive or tick, <laughs> pretty tick. But, but I think I think Katie's pieces might be a nice place to wrap, wrap up, and yeah, yeah we will hopefully. I mean, who knows? By the time this comes out, maybe there'll be an absolute stinker of a take dropped by. Oh God, um, please not! No, I can't. My, I I can't. It's a very difficult time. I can't. Please, <laughs> not right now. I'm trying to finish a PhD during the middle of a pandemic. I don't need this right now. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of silly season left, we'll, we'll be aware. But if anybody's listening, if anybody's listening, just don't. Just don't. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, whatever your hot take about the Irish language, whatever you think about the Irish language, it's not hot anymore. The take is cold. It has been said. It has been published. The boot has been licked. And that is, you, you have nothing new to add about this. Go and write about something else. Um you know, go read Katie Burns' article. I don't know. Go dig Try a and hole and sit in it. Like, <laughs> do something useful with your time. <laughs> Just be a bit fucking self-aware for once. <laughs> but before we go, I mean, that, why isn't there an Irish for COVID? For the COVID? Need it. Jesus Christ. No, no. This is it. I'm gone. I'm getting out of the wardrobe, guys. I'm gone. I'm finished. <laughs> yeah, so, until the next time, mind yourselves. And it's slant for me. A slant for slant me. Oh. Alphabetical like we order, got there. <laughs> so, until the next time, mind yourselves and those around you. And it's a slant for me. A slant for me. And it's a slant Wemshire. Hey, Tara again. Thank you very much for listening to our show this week. If you have any Irish summer traditions you'd like to share with us, or questions or observations on this episode, you can let us know on Twitter at motherfucklore. You can always contact us by email. The address is motherfucklore at headstuff.org. And you can always get me at my own Twitter account, which is at the Irish Four. We also have a private Discord server, which is available to our Patreons. And that's where we are taking episode suggestions and answering feedback for access to this and many other perks, including discounts for Art by Kirsten Shield. You can visit patreon.com forward slash dark. There's some very interesting Irish and Irish adjacent content being made right now, which I'm sure many of you will be interested in. And this week, the one show I'd like to particularly give a shout out to is the Celtic Students podcast presented by Stefan O'Brien. It's an excellent show. It's a bilingual. Some episodes are entirely in Irish, some episodes of English and Irish. It's well worth checking out the Celtic Students podcast. We're very happy to give them a little shout out here at Motherfucklore. Our terrific episode art, crafted fresh for us every week, is by Kirsten Scheel. And production is by Brian. We have a number of fantastic guests lined up in the coming weeks. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, or wherever you find yourself listening. And do tell a friend if you like the show. Until then, slot. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Chase Garradine, tis well you're looking in your wardrobe. Thanks, yeah, yeah. it's real high-tech up in here. <laughs> Fantastic, but high-tech high is good. Uh, Low-tech is good. All It's all good. The most important thing is the acoustics.